Well, we're going to read from John chapter 12, and from verse 12, going to read a couple of passages, John chapter 12 and from verse 12, so that's page 1079, so boys and girls, you've just heard a little of the story, if you can look on with your mom or dad and they'll help you with this reading, we're going to read it all together and we'll see what the story tells us about Jesus, so John chapter 12 from verse 12, page 1079 of the Pew Bibles, if you've got a Pew Bible. One o seven nine, John 12, verse 12. This is a true story from God's Word. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, His disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And then we go down that page to verse 42, halfway down the second column, verse 42. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commands me, commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father had told me to say. Amen. We trust that God will help us understand his word. If you have your Bible, please do open it with me to the book of John this morning and to John chapter 12 as we think over the verses that we have had read to us already this morning. John chapter 12. And in particular, we're going to focus on verses 44 through to 50. So as we start into our passage this morning, 
most of us here encounter signposts every single day. And this morning on your way to church, I am sure you passed several signposts. And signposts can be very useful, but they bring a number of different reactions for us. Some signposts bring us great joy whenever we see a signpost that says, welcome to Portadown and not to Lurgan. Some signposts can bring us great inconvenience, road closed, diversion in place, and some signposts can save our life. Rico Tice tells the story of how once he was in Botany Bay and he was about to go swimming, so he pulled off his shirt and he ran past a signpost that said, Danger Sharks, right? And he thought to himself, I'm an English rugby player, you know, I'm a hard Englishman, I'll be fine. And his friend shouted at him and said, Rico, stop, what are you doing? He says, I'm going for a swim, it's Botany Bay, it's a beautiful place. And his friend said, Rico, 200 people have died in shark attacks. Are you sure you want to go swimming? So Rico thought again and decided not to go swimming. You see, the signpost could either save his life or it could ruin his fun. It could save his life or it could ruin his fun. And for many of us today, the gospel is like this great signpost that for some of us it saves us, but for some of us it's just a way to ruin our fun. And here at the end of John chapter 12, what is this section, verses 44 through 50, is a massive signpost that the gospel writer John wants to put out right in front of us so that as Jesus' public ministry ends and he moves into his private ministry during this last week of his life, that we would see the gospel and that we would know what the gospel is. And as we think through this passage this morning, you'll see it on the screen, this is our title, our big idea, that the Father sends the Son to bring light, life, and freedom, believe, and follow Him. Now notice, as, as we work our way through this, everything that happens is the Father and the Son working together. The Father sends the Son. This is the plan of salvation, the eternal plan that the Father would send the Son to save people. And it's really simple. We thought about it with the boys and girls. Jesus Christ came into this world. Why? Because he was sent by his Father to save sinners. And right from the outset, we want to declare that as the good news of the gospel, don't we? That's why we are here this morning. That is why we have built this building. That is why we sing our hymns and we collect our offering. That's why we pray for our denomination and for other churches in this country. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent by the Father into the world to redeem sinners. And if you're new with us here this morning, if you're a visitor, if you're new, we believe that each human being has been born since the Garden of Eden with sin. And that sin separates us from God both in this life and in the life after because God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin and therefore sin must be punished. And the problem of sin is that it can only be sorted out by someone living the perfect life, and each of us fail in that. So God had to send His only Son, the Lord Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserve on the cross, and then He rose again, and He conquered sin and death so that we may have life. That's what we believe here in this church. That's what we believe as Christians. Now, as we step into our passage this morning, the, the author wants to make it really clear that we see who Jesus is 
and what he has come to do. Who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So who is he? As a person, he's God's son. And what is his purpose? It's to save sinners. And the reason that the author wants us to get this really clear in our minds is because during this passage, during the time of Jesus, and ever since, people continually miss this. They say he's not God's son. And they say that he's come to do many things, but not to save people. And even the people that gather here, they get it wrong. They wave their, their palm branches, they shout Hosanna, and the palm branches represent victory, and they shout Hosanna, which means save us or salvation. And on the surface of it, it looks like these people are responding to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Yet on a closer reading, it shows us that they were expecting a political king, a military king, someone who was going to liberate the Jewish people. And for others, we see in this passage, Jesus is just a miracle worker. Look at chapter 12, verse 17. The crowd are still with him because he is the one who is called Lazarus from the dead. They're expecting miracles. And then in chapter 12, verse 37, we see that even whenever Jesus had done all their miraculous signs, they still would not believe him. So a political leader, a military king, a magician, and in chapter 12, verse 16, even the disciples don't understand fully what is going on. So as everyone gathers, as the excitement is high, as both Greek and Jew gather in, the author here wants to make it blatantly obvious so that people would believe and so that people would become children of God. If you take nothing else away from this morning, know this, that Jesus is God's Son and He came to save sinners. So as we get into our passage, as we, as we have distilled down and established these fundamental truths, we're going to build back up from this point. So, so what? He's God's Son. He sent to save sinners. So what? Well, firstly, the Father sends the Son to bring light into darkness. He sends the Son to bring light into darkness. And this is verse 44 through 46. Just as a father sends his son to do something for him, maybe you've been sent by your dad to post a letter or to pay someone or to collect something, here the father sends the son into the world as the light. And this is a metaphor that is repeated throughout Scripture. The world is under the shadow of death, under the shadow of darkness. People are without Christ. They are without hope. They are in darkness. But he comes so that no one who believes in him should remain in darkness. Rather, they should be in the light. Now, we know that, but what does that really mean for us? What does it mean for us to be in the dark or to be in the light? Well, we'll see it in this passage, verse 35. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. And the darkness in the chapter before, in chapter 11 and verse 43, was the darkness that was in the tomb whenever Lazarus was there. And Jesus called Lazarus, come out. Also in chapter 12 and verse 40, we see the darkness of being a blind man. So Jesus stated that he has come so whoever believes in him would not remain in darkness. Because darkness is a place where there is no hope, where there is worry and anxiety, where there is no certainty, where there is no satisfaction, where there is no fulfillment. 
and we grope around in the darkness, and we try to cling on to something that will guide us, and we can't find it. And Jesus is saying that without him, it's like you're already in the darkness of your own tomb. You have no way out. You do not know how to get out, and you will never find a way out by yourself. So Jesus arrives at your tomb, and he's like a massive spotlight. And you can see him, and you can see the way out. You can see that you no longer need to scramble about in life. And here Jesus calls you, and he says, come and follow me. Walk in my light. The Father sends the Son to bring light to the darkness. The Father also sends the Son to bring life in the midst of death. This is our second point. The Father sends the Son to bring life in the midst of death. There's something naturally built into each of us, isn't there, that we we want to have life. We want to live. Our instincts usually work to keep us from death. Whenever things fly towards our heads, we duck out of the way. Or if we're crossing the road and a car's coming quicker than we expected, we try to speed up a little bit or to jog across the road before we get knocked down. And our world is obsessed with trying to prevent the signs of death. We have facelifts. Perhaps we have beards. I don't know if that tries to cover up the sign of aging. We have tummy tucks and teeth implants. We have our creams and our dyes and our moisturizer and our top 10 tips to long life all part of an attempt to stave off death. Yet the reality is soon that physical death will arrive. But what about spiritual death? Do we realize this morning that without Christ, we are spiritually dead? It's really important. We are not just sick. We are not just weak. But without Christ, spiritually speaking, we are totally dead. And the problem is that as long as people think that they are sick, spiritually speaking, they think that they can become healthy, and then the gospel has absolutely no power. People must understand that they are dead and that they need to have the power of the resurrection, that you have life and have it again. Sinclair Ferguson says this, we don't need a physician because we are sick. We need a savior to resurrect us because we are dead. We don't need a physician because we are sick. We need a savior to resurrect us because we are dead. And that's exactly what Jesus is. He is our savior. Again, imagine the image of the tomb. We are like Lazarus, spiritually speaking. We are still and all alone. We are cold and in the dark. We have no life and we have no way of making ourselves come to life. Perhaps we're in the tomb and we're in our grave clothes. And in our pockets, we have all these little pieces of paper that we think will bring us back to life, but they won't. Maybe we have our baptism certificate folded over and in our pocket. Maybe we have a massive check from everything that we have earned and we have it in another pocket. Maybe we have our catechism exam that we passed with flying colors folded up and in our pocket, our Sunday school attendance sheet, maybe our church attendance sheet, it's above 90% in our pocket. Maybe we have all our acts of kindness written down, folded up and in our pocket. 
and we're relying on them to bring us life. And they won't. Friends, we need a savior. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever he comes and he brings us back to life, just like Lazarus, whenever he shouted at Lazarus or cried to Lazarus, come out, Lazarus' life instantly had life back in it. His heart began to pump. His nostrils and lungs filled with air. His muscles activated and his nervous system began to send messages again. An image of us spiritually, whenever Jesus cries out to us, friend, come, come to life, follow me. And whenever we have that, it changes everything about us. I met a little man on the train about two weeks ago. I was coming back from Belfast. And you're on the train. It's one of them train journeys. You're out of class. You're doing a little bit of reading. And you're thinking to yourself, I really hope no one sits beside me. And here this gentleman shuffled in. Great Victoria Street sat down beside me. And he looked across and he realized that I was reading a Christian book. And he was a believer. A little old gentleman. And from there to Lisbon... He was beaming, full of the good news of the gospel, full of that joy, like what the gospel describes as that spring of eternal life. Couldn't stop him talking about the good news. Couldn't stop him talking and encouraging me about Christianity. Totally changed. Life, you see. You've been made alive. And sometimes we talk to people who claim to be believers And it's like talking to stone. Nothing there. Well, friends, without Christ, we are dead. We are not sick, but we are dead. But with him, we have life, and we have it eternal. No way of saving ourselves this morning, but we praise God for Jesus, because he is our great Savior. So the Father sends the Son to bring light. He sends the Son to bring life. And then finally, the Father sends the Son to bring freedom. And we see this in verse 47. There's a perception in this world that Jesus came and that he shouted at everyone, that he told them all the things that they were doing wrong, and that Jesus just kept saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Is that really what Jesus has to say here in verse 47? It's the person who hears my words but does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save it. The people cried, Hosanna, save us, or salvation. And they meant it in a political sense, but Jesus came to save them in a far better way, a way that they could not even imagine. He came to save their souls. And that's the most important thing here today. I can't see into your soul I don't know how you stand before the king of kings, but it's the most important thing about you. You may think it's how you look. You may think it's how much money we have in our bank account. You may think it's what we're about to eat in a few minutes' time. Friends, the most important thing about you is your soul. That's why Jesus cries out right at this closing section of his public ministry, and he wants to make it really clear, I've not come to judge. Whenever I return, I will judge the world, but here and now I have come to save the world. And my offer is one of salvation. Friends, today, are you close to Christ? Are you united to him? Are you trusting in him? 
if you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ, but you see that you are dead without him and that you need spiritual life and you want to speak to someone after the service, Nigel and myself would be happy to stay behind for hours and hours to speak to people. Friends, your soul is the most important thing about you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he cries out here. He only cries out five times in this gospel. Two on the cross, one to Lazarus, one to ask people to repent, and here is the fifth time again calling to people, telling them that he will save them. A commentator says this about Jesus, that he's the first Christian missionary. He's telling people the good news. He's telling them to come and believe. Sent by the Father to bring freedom to sons and daughters. The son comes and he searches and he finds and he calls. So his message this morning isn't stop it, but he knows your heart. Jesus knows that you love things. He knows that you love money and sex and power and prestige and other gods. He knows that you love yourself. He knows that you love sin. And instead of saying stop it, He says, I know that you love these things, but here's why you should love me even more. And whenever you love me even more, because you see that I have come to the cross to save you from your sin and bring you into life and to bring you into light and to bring you freedom, then you will stop these other things. But firstly, he wants your heart He wants you to love him more. So friends, the gospel is not stop it. The gospel is to see Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and to see that you love him more than anything else. So today we cry out unto him, if we're without him today, and we say, I am in darkness, Lord, without you. I am dead without you. I am in slavery to sin without you. I am lost I have no hope. And then we let him show us his love. And this morning, perhaps you're here, and you don't want to treat Jesus like a Savior. You don't want to follow him like a Savior. Instead, you want to treat Jesus like your life coach. Maybe he's like your little genie in a bottle, that whenever things go wrong and that you're stuck, that you go to him. Maybe he's your occasional buddy that you call upon once every six months. Maybe he's just this ticket that you have in this eternal life. Maybe he's your emotional pick-me-up. Maybe he's just an easy pass with your family and with your friends. If I claim I'm a Christian, then they'll give me a little bit of slack. And friends, this morning, if that's how you treat Jesus as a life coach, as a genie, as just this person on the outside of your life, then I'm sorry to tell you, but you are mad this morning. This is the Savior of the world, the Messiah, sent to save you from your sin. He's not your life coach. He's not your genie in a bottle. He's not just this buddy that you talk to once every six months. He's the Savior of the world, and he's the one who brings you life from death. So the gospel this morning is not something to be toyed with. It's not something that we can can delay God is our master, and he orders us to turn from sin and to respond to him. You see, in this passage, there are three different types of people. There are those who believe him, 
and follow him. There are those who don't follow him. But there is a third. Look at verse 42 to 43 that we had read. Yet at the same time, even among the leaders, they believed, there were some who believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. And then note how, talks, how Jesus talks about the darkness and the light. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You see, friends here, Jesus is saying that if you love him, that if you genuinely follow him, then you will follow him. You'll not be in this middle category, half in, half out. The scripture says that's a dangerous place to be in. It's a place where we will find great judgment. He says, you're either with me or you're not. Because whenever he does return and this judgment comes, it will not be, how do I compare to Mr. and Mrs. Jones and all of their sin? It won't be a case of my goodness in the scales versus my badness. What matters most whenever Jesus returns is if we are united to his son, united to him by faith or we're distant from him. We're either trusting in Christ or we're trusting in ourselves. So as we close today, what do we tell people Easter is all about? Next week, if you want to invite people along to church, what do you tell them Easter is all about? Easter is all about how the Father sends the Son to bring light and life and freedom. Believe and follow Him. Do you see that you're dead this morning if you're without Him? Come and follow Him. Walk in the light. Are you tired of pointless, the pointlessness of life, the endlessness of the trivial pursuit? Come and have freedom in Jesus. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, just a few days before his death, he came, sent by the Father to save sinners like you and like me. Not a political leader, not a military king, not a magician, not just a teacher. He is the Savior. King of kings and Lord of lords. So what do you do in his face? Do you choose rebellion or do you choose citizenship of his kingdom? Will you walk in darkness or will you walk in light? Will you walk in death or will you come to life? Will you remain in slavery or will you come to live in freedom? I trust this morning that the gospel signpost will bring you great joy, not inconvenience, and that it will save you, that it will not be something that you see as just ruining your fun. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son into this world to be light and life and to bring us freedom. And you have called us to come and to follow you. Father, we pray this morning 
for each of us who believe in you and trust in you and love you, that you would restore the joy of our hearts, that we would see who you are and what you have done, and that we would be so thankful. And Father, this morning, if there are any here that do not know you, that they would see that without you they are dead and that there is no hope. But because of Jesus, we have life. Father, help us to trust in you today. Help us to sing your praise. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.